Hey, people, people, it's time for the Capital P and People Work podcast, where we discuss the intersection of people, wellness, and the future of work. I'm your host, Gabby Lubin, CEO and founder of Spark This Day, the platform that makes people first a reality. And I'm excited to welcome you to season two. This season, we're diving in with experts to go deep on specific topics within people work. What does it really take to run an effective, meaningful team? We'll find out together, and I can't wait to discover what we'll learn today. Before we head in, don't forget to take a listen for our offer at the end of this podcast. We'd love to gift you 60 days on Spark this day, but you have to get to the end of the podcast first. Let's get into it. Yeah? Today, I'm joined by Veronica Jans, the founder of Business Laid Bare. From the spreadsheets to the bedsheets, which I love, uh, Veronica Jans is completely open about who she is. CEO, kinky, feminist, and a budding plant mom. Love that. Creator of the orgasmic operations method, she and her team at Business Lay Bear help early stage and growth stage startups streamline their internal revenue and marketing operations so that they're completely prepared to handle sudden rapid growth with ease. Very, very, very important, Veronica. I'm so excited to dig in today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us on Capital P and People Work. Oh, no, thank you. Like, this is so important to me. Like, this is the hill I will die on, the, the people. <laughs> and so to hear you talk about these topics with a people first approach, I'm just like, please, please, can I, can I just come chat with you? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best. I absolutely love that. And I think it's people first is like coming to be this somewhat of a buzzword kind of term right now in the HR people workplace space. But I think it's up to us as thought leaders in this space to help really define what that could look like and help guide, kind of guide people into how to make people first really a reality. So I'm excited to get into it. I know operations is not like I don't come from that background. So I'm really excited to learn about it with you today. And hopefully our listeners will learn a lot as well. But before we dig in, we have to ask the question that we love asking. Um, on this podcast, we value both the human and their accomplishments. So tell us, Veronica, who are you as a human? Oh my gosh. So this could get like coconut shell like, because when people are like, ask, tell me who you are in like a, like a nutshell. I'm like, it's going to be a big nut. So ultimately- I would say that I have been someone that always blazed my own path. Mm. And I say this because every pivotal point in my life that was momentous, even to this day, it's like I was brought up in a way that Asian immigrants' parents do. They're like, you need to do this. You need to do that. You should be a lawyer, doctor, engineer, accountant, you know, those stable those stable paths. And like the one voice that I needed to listen to that was not heard from was totally mine. And the moment I started listening to myself, mm. beautiful things happened. Sure. I make mistakes. Sure. I made mistakes, but it's just like, that's who I am as a person. Like I just have to do things my own way. So that's me. And then personal life and also bleeding into business, it's like, I'm kinky, I'm feminist, and I'm unapologetic about how those two work together. I'm also a CEO. I have a dog that I love. She's our chief furry officer. 
right? So it's like, I'm just like unapologetic. Maybe that's the word is just unapologetic. <laughs> yeah. We need more of that energy in all of our lives, but particularly as women, I feel like something that I am so uh, cognizant of and have been for a long time is just this idea of like how often we say sorry as women. So like putting that, like boiling all that down, the apologetic, unapologeticness from you down to just stop saying sorry. Like that's one way to start being and like leading in that um, capacity. So thank you. I love that. Thank you, Veronica. Um, on the podcast, we always like to know kind of where people are thinking about the people work at this moment. And I think this is a an easy question for you. So Veronica, what is your capital P word for people work at this moment? Absolutely pleasure, like 100% pleasure mm. because we believe in a people first and pleasure filled way in terms of approaching processes, operations, how people think. It's like, if it's not pleasurable, it means that the solutions aren't aligned with how their brain works, how they thrive, which means that it won't allow them to work from their zones of excellence at minimum. So mm -hmm. pleasure is like easy. Cause like, this is our brand. Like everything around the business laid bare brand is pleasure. Cause if it's not pleasurable, if it's not orgasmic, we're not settling. I can't wait for folks who are listening to hear your branding language sprinkled in throughout this podcast today. Cause you are so good at it. All the times that I've seen your work or heard you speak, you're so good at it. Um, and I hope that all of us can learn a little bit more from that. Cause it's very cool. So thank you for that. And I love the word pleasure. I'm excited to explore more of it today and just think about like what, cause it could mean many, many different in my opinion, it could mean many different things. Um, I want to get more granular about it as we continue to chat. But before all that, of course, I want to know, like, talk to us about your career trajectory, your story. How did you get to where you are today, Veronica, in the CEO role and unapologetically doing so? Okay. So I talked about the whole, like I was supposed to be like a doctor, lawyer, engineer thing. So when I was in college, like I remembered like I work hard so I'm one of those like not naturally smart people because if you look at my standardized testing scores it's just terrible so it's like I'm the type of person that has to like work really hard to get to where I am today which is fine and it's exactly who I am but it's like oh my gosh I think the word that I was not quite understanding in college when this all started because college is kind of that place where you learn to like at least for me discover how to think, how to ask questions, how to have critical problem-solving skills. And yeah. I realized that the word I was looking for back then that I didn't have now, or I was looking for that I didn't have then was the word grinding. Like I was grinding. It was not hustling. It was grinding. And I realized that like through rote memory and just like test taking that path wasn't for me until one day my RA was like, Hey, you might actually like product design. And I'm like, what's that? Because, you know, none of this was ever fostered. And so when I looked at the program and what they offered and the product design program at Stanford was very much like, it's not so industrial design where you make things look pretty. It's more, they favor form over function and problem solving. And mm. so I was like, oh my God, this is exactly what I was missing. That was never like fostered when I was mm. a kid, because this was naturally who I was problem solving, coming with ways to make things better. And so because I was a junior at that time, and as much as I wanted to stay in school, it's like when you don't 
when you have a scholarship, that money can run out and will run out. So I'm just like, okay, so if I have a year, how can I make the best or two years? How can I make the best of it? So I actually created my own major. So there is that story of like me doing things my own way. The Dean of (laughs) Engineering is like, we have 143 majors here at the college. So why can't you just pick one? And I'm like, (laughs) well... And I've learned that my brain is very spiderwebby. I'm like, well, if I'm going to be a product designer, I also want to honor my environmental sustainability roots because I'm from Oregon. I want to make sure that the materials we're using are sustainable. I want to make sure that when the product inevitably gets tossed, the end of life cycle is considered. And mm-hmm. if I'm going to design something, I also want to like make money from it because who knows, maybe I want to start my own business. So I basically combined three majors like product design and environmental civil engineering and like entrepreneurship into one major and I did my parents a solid so I did my parents a solid (laughs) and I named it environmental design engineering so I put the word engineering in there so that they (laughs) you know wouldn't be completely like what the heck did you do with your education (laughs) and I didn't realize at that time but there is this business practice and philosophy called the triple bottom line where you're trying to balance people planet and profit And that's exactly what my major was, was like the triple bottom line without me knowing it. Whereas the Mm. people part was very much around product design because you're designing a solution for like one user, like they are the center of your universe. So how can you like strip away your biases, where you've come from, and just put yourself in their shoes to do the best you can to give them the solution that they most likely need that they might not even know they need. So Mm. It was a very enlightening experience. And so that's how I got here was because I was a natural, like I felt like I was a natural born project manager. So like work back schedules, Gantt charts, all that stuff, like that's me. And I'm like, oh, well, you have this like amazing idea. And they're like, yeah, I do, but that's all I have. I can't, I don't know what else to do next. I'm like, well, you just do this, 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 and that. And then end of project timeline. And so from there, I ended up like consulting and working with like Apple and Nike. So because they saw that I could speak creative Mm. and I could also speak not creative. And so as a creative project manager, that's kind of how I started my journey. And then I realized I was doing like three people's jobs naturally as my own, because I'm like, if I'm going to project manage, I don't want to start from scratch because that's just a waste of time over and over. So I'm going to create systems, processes, and frameworks. But then if I do that, I also want other people to adopt them. So right there, that's like process improvement. And then there's like change management that I was learning. So I was like, I think I could do this on my own. And here Mm -hmm. we are, me doing this and helping our clients be more operationally efficient while, and I love that word efficiency because it means that you're in flow and you're in alignment And so helping our clients do this, it's like, we're doing our part to help them change the world. Cause we want to work with founders who are impact driven. Like you're here to make money, especially underrepresented founders, but we're also here to change the world in the way that we know how. And I'm like, how we can do that is to give you that foundational backend, that infrastructure, the operations so that your, what your dreams, your visions, your mission is easily supported by the, how your operations, it's like two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Oh, okay. So how long have you been now in this entrepreneurial journey outside of the apples of the world? So 
you know, the whole new year, new me thing. So I kind of took it literally new decade, new me. So when Mm -hmm. 2020 hit, I was like, okay, let's do this. And Mm -hmm. then the world shut down. So that was, that was interesting. So yeah, Mm -hmm. it's been a few years now and we've really hit our stride. Like at first I was like, oh my gosh, can I do this? Because approaching operations from a people first and pleasure filled way is not the norm. And I guess if there's anything that I've learned just by being who I am, being a woman of color, cause I'm Chinese and for being outwardly kinky, like just existing, I'm like shifting paradigms. I don't even have to say anything, I guess, but it's just so interesting because, and I say this because we're shifting how operations should be approached. Most people hate operations. Like they're like, I don't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole. I know I need it, but it's so gross and so corporate and icky and stifling. I'm just like, actually, it's really just the how, right? So like Mm -hmm. you operate every day. So how might we design the way your business takes action or your venture, your team members take action in a way that feels in alignment with your values, your core values, your mission, your purpose, and how do we make it so it feels natural, right? So to me, operations is very much a fascinating observation into how humans work. Mm. It's not just about the tech and software. That's just the tip, just the tip of the iceberg. There's <laughs> so much underneath and it begins with people. Well, I, I've heard this many times as a founder myself, an idea is great, but how you actually operationalize that idea is everything. You could have a founder with a terrible idea, but is really good at executing. They probably are going to get further than a founder with a great idea does end of end of day that's how that's just how it goes right um it it sucks to hear that as a founder because like a lot of founders I think don't have that other side that other mentality of like being able to see things through and that's kind of I would expect um why a lot of startups don't make it past certain phases either idea phase or fundraising or if we're talking only about fundraising series A, but if we're not talking about fundraising, just like the two year mark, the five year mark. Um, and this is so why really, we exist. Yeah. Just to give them that leg up. That, I mean, it's so, so, so critical. Um, I thank you for all that backstory. I'm so excited. I think like we're ready to get into the meat of it. I think we're ready. I love it. You ready? I'm ready. I consent. <laughs> I consent. <laughs> Amazing. So, most of our listeners um, are in the HR or people space in some capacity. And so maybe they're at startups, maybe they're at, you know, small businesses. They could be at some larger organizations as well. Um, they may be familiar with some of the more archaic versions of operations. And some might be kind of in this new age space, particularly if we have millennials and maybe Gen Z. I don't know that we have as many Gen Z HR people yet, but you know, maybe they're coming out there soon. (laughs) Um, I'm curious to hear from you, like, what do you think makes, what's the indicator for you of like, what is archaic in operations right now? How do we start to move towards the trends of of people first? Yeah. So What we've learned with our clients is that there are people who can build something from nothing. And there are Mm -hmm. some people that cannot. 
historically speaking, a lot of us come into an organization with the operations, and I'm putting this in air quotes, already built, even if it's like the worst things ever. So now we're in this world, especially in the startup phase where you're just like, you have the ability to make huge impact. And it's a little bit scary because if they're asking you to build something and you're not the build something from nothing kind of person, it can get really, really scary. So this is where, and when we coach our clients through this or do this for them, it's always like, how can you approach your work from a lens in a very curious manner? How might this be more pleasurable? And just even saying that and having a keen awareness of that begins to change things because you're not accepting, oh, this is how it's always been. Or we always, mm. we've always done it this way for so many years. And I'm like, that's actually the phrase that like gets me the most when they're like, we've always done it this way. I'm like, great. Just because you've always done it this way. Was it the most effective? Was it the most efficient? Because productivity to me means nothing without efficiency and effectiveness. I want those mm-hmm. latter two mm-hmm. any day. And so even just the simple mindset switch of how might this be more pleasurable? And you ask the people like we have our clients interview their team members and we do it as well so much because they're in the day-to-day it's oftentimes there's like the separation between like leadership and like not leadership and it's more and leadership's like, Oh yeah, things are going really great. And it's, it's because like the people who are not in the leadership positions are either not telling you because they don't want to be a bother or they're like, you know what? I believe in this mission. Like at whatever cost, I'm just going to like be like a duck where you're so calm on the surface, but like you're paddling like crazy underneath Mm -hmm. at whatever cost to get it done. So it's just like, you got to talk to the people who are in this in the day to day and ask them questions. How can their work be better? How can they be better supported? What do they need to thrive? Not just like do, but like to thrive. And that begins that archaic switch from accepting status quo to being people first in operations. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing because at the end of the day, we, I think many of us who are not in operations think that operations are this like mechanical thing that happens this like tool driven behind the scenes of human isn't really doing it like ai ai is doing all the operations etc <laughs> another buzzword there but at the end of the day people are the ones who are operating right unless we're maybe working at a factory which is less common so, yeah, I mean, people are the thing that are doing all the operating at the end of the day. So it's it seems like a no brainer that we would if we were people first or just like if we were working in an organization that had the people doing the operating, we should ask the people, <laughs> hey, is this working for you? Um, but what I'm hearing from you maybe is that those questions weren't asked up until a more recent point. Yeah. I mean, even until we begin working with clients, like when they're just like, oh, our project management sucks for using Airtable. Like I'm just throwing out apps. It doesn't matter. And it just doesn't work. And then because the team members don't like it, they have their own project management app or one person uses their own notes app. One person uses a calendar. And I'm just like, so how does the project manager feel about this? And she's like, I'm about to die. Because there's Mm -hmm. no way they can keep track if everything is siloed. 
And so I said, have you ever asked your team members why they don't like Airtable or whatever app they're using and why they are using the app that they chose? And she's like, no, I said, okay, well, I'd love for you to ask them because their feedback is valuable. Like these are core team members on the team. So if your core team members are not using the centralized command center that the project management app is, things are not going to flow. Thing traction is not going to have be had, you can't keep momentum. And so she's like, yeah, well, person A said that they don't, Airtable just doesn't make sense with their brain. Person B doesn't know how to use it. So they weren't purposely, you know, properly trained. So she had all of this amazing qualitative insight and data. And then from there, which in a way we already knew the answers to some of it, but we love that she was able to record their responses. And then we took that information and rebuilt it. And we found out at the core that nobody was ever going to be set up for success because Airtable was not suited for their business model and also how their team works. So they were setting themselves up for failure to begin with. And the reason why they were on Airtable is because shiny object syndrome, this mm. other person, this other founder is like, look at all these automations I can do with Airtable and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, yeah, but imagine if like you two were the running the exact same business next door to each other, like say making cupcakes and they did it this, their way, I can guarantee you that you're probably not going to be operating your business the same way. Even though the end product is that single or single same cupcake that you're both producing. So we basically stripped it all down to bare bones and started out with strategy and needs and requirements. Like that's the one thing that a lot of operations are missing they go straight to the app because it was recommended and they're missing the deeper things like how should this be set up? How, what do the team members need? What goal or purpose does this app serve? Because you're not contorting people to the tools, which is the most common thing. We mm -hmm. want you to build the tools for the people. Yeah, I think this is what's really hard in fast growing startup space. You don't feel like we have the time to sit down and reflect on the way we're doing things or the things that we're using to do the things, tools, et cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, taking a teeny sliver of time out to troubleshoot, to like step onto the balcony, to whatever can help the rest of the operations run so much faster. Um, and I think that's something that as you know, we're a wellness startup. We were focusing on employee wellness, but also helping and equipping HR or leaders with the information to help their teams. Kind of a similar question or like problem that like sometimes people don't take the time to step back and do the reflecting to know what the actual problem is. They just feel the problem and try to kind of like band-aid it, et cetera, you know? Oh, that band-aid. That's, that's rough because then when you don't have time and when you're moving so fast, it's like you're just reactively duct taping and band-aiding things together. And you end up having this like Frankenstein looking operations. And I always like to think that, and we use a lot of analogies because again, people are already confused or not properly educated as to what operations are. So I'm just like, Imagine your house, right? Your operations is like that foundation and the framing and structure of your venture business house. So if it was never stable 
to begin with or supportive, and you're already looking at things like paints or furniture when your <laughs> framing and foundation is just built on pure dirt, how do you think you're going to feel when you begin to scale or to build on top of it? Mm-hmm. And so people are like, oh, so yeah, apps, apps are like the paint. I'm like, yeah, if you don't know how you want your house to look, like, do you want like a three bedroom, 10 bath kind of situation? I'm not judging for people that do, right? It's just like, again, going back to the needs and requirements, what do you need? So that's why I'm just like, it sounds so, and I think this is where operations can feel unsexy in a way, because mm. there's a lot of introspection that goes into it. And some people, especially if you've worked for others are trained to diminish their needs. They're trained to accept that, oh, you're just too high maintenance or you're slowing everybody down, which then leads to the whole building the plane as you're flying it, bandaging things. And it's like, if you never make time now, you're never going to make time in the future because hiring more people and having more money is not going to help you solve it. If you already have band-aid solutions, it's just going to exacerbate the pain even worse. People often think they can like out hire and out make their problems. Not you, if you don't have good operations, it'll never work. So two, two points right there, but the biggest one is a lot of people don't feel like they can speak up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's another problem that we're solving as well with just trying to find a a trusting way for employees to share how they're feeling without having HR being like, how burned out do you feel today? And what am I going to do tomorrow to make that all the way better? Like that's not possible. People want to share that information with you, but it is critical that you find a way to ask those questions, both your question and my question. And it sounds like they're even more related than I was expecting, which is kind of a cool takeaway. Um, Isn't that cool? I was just thinking that too, when you said that. Ah, we love takeaways. That is my goal. Let's give people some takeaways. Let's make it happen. Um, But something else that uh, made me think of um, in the news recently, even what you were just saying, like having that foundation is so critical and the (laughs) overhiring as a Band-Aid. We're seeing a lot of layoffs that are happening. Um, And there was one company that you already mentioned um, that did not overhire and that was kind of moving in the opposite direction. Now, they will probably run into some other issues because of what's happening in China, et cetera. But... Apple did not overhire. They kept with what their, I don't know, status quo is and kept their foundation. And to my knowledge, at least now when we're speaking in February, so this could change in March, uh, we'll say, but um, they have not had to lay anyone off yet. So that foundation was there. They were able to keep that structure and continue the progress there. So it's really just kind of interesting to hear this play out in real life and then hear it on such a small, um, tangible context with what we're talking about. I love, yeah. I love that you brought that up because it's like your people are everything. And when things go wrong in the business, the first thing that people look at is cutting, cutting team members, right? Because 
people cost a lot more than apps, especially people who are in the United States, because we know that there are really predatory practices about people hiring overseas for like dollars a day, even Mm -hmm. if it may satisfy their living requirements. Like I'm thinking things like the Philippines, that's what's very pervasive about what I've seen. It's just like, Mm -hmm. that shouldn't matter, but that's a whole different topic. So (laughs) a lot of times like this, and this stuff has happened quite often, like when the recession or when COVID hit, people were getting laid off and stuff. It's just, and it's like, people shouldn't be the first thing you let go. You should be actually seeing where money is leaking out of your business, whether you're hemorrhaging or it's like a subtle insidious thing, because if your operations are not tight, well, things be leaking out that back end. So this is one of the ways in which people can be more aware. Like, and, and I can't speak for any of the large scaled companies. Like we focus on, like I said, the early stage and growth stage, but it's like, we totally will die on the hill that if you start off your business and your venture doing it right, you're not going to grow to that dysfunction in the future. So that's why we're like, operations is something that you need to focus on because one, it maximizes your revenue and profit potential. It eliminates capacity ceilings. And when I say this, people don't understand like, what do you mean capacity ceilings? I was like, well, you just told me that you've hit your limit of, and we'll just use clients as an example. You can only handle like five clients at a time, but you have revenues goals set where you need to have like 25 clients at a time. And yet you jump all this money in to get leads and stuff, but you truly don't have the capacity to handle all of this. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm like, oh, hey, operations, we're like the middle child. They're just as important, but hey, people like focus on sales, product and marketing a lot, but that's okay. We're, I'm going to, that's why I'm here stating all my I'm, case. So. <laughs> all I'm thinking about is this like strainer that's sitting in a sink and it's small at first and then it continues to yeah. grow, but the holes, you know, they start, they're still there and yeah. the things are still leaking out. Um, yeah, we've been having, you know, I talk to founders or uh, leaders a lot and a few of the conversations, like I can quickly suss out whether or not there are large leaky holes and and what's happening. And at the end of the day, what's unfortunate about our work is that I can't pair, I can't patch up those holes. I'm not there to do that. Yeah. That's like, that's your job. That's where you come in. Sounds like we're a good team, Veronica. I, I think so too. Like, oh my goodness. There's so much we could talk about. Like the P like the people work in onboarding new team members. Like that's one yes. of the things that we get hired for because then I, I won't go into it, but it's just like, there's so much synergy between people and operations and that it's time that people focus on how can their operations be better through taking care of their team members? Because when you have the right people doing what they love and are amazing at, it's like at the end of the day, if you want to talk about like dollars and investors and all that stuff, it's like good operations allow you to be lean, allow you to be more profitable allow you to operate in a capacity that's not only efficient. So sure you can take on more work, but everybody's suited to do the same, but then it enhances quality of life for everybody that touches your operations, whether it's team members, stakeholders, leadership, and absolutely customers and buyers. It all, it, it all matters. And even like people who are prospects who are not yet customers and clients. And so that's why I'm like, what you do is so important. And if we were to talk about takeaways, like like the first thing is just talk to your people, 
Like literally mm-hmm. just ask them what's, what's going well, what's not going well, how can this be better? And that begins this whole conversation. And if leadership will listen, it's like, they're literally giving you the answers to their success, which then reduces turnover. Good people in operations means retention. They have more buy-in. They feel emboldened and empowered to take more accountability and responsibility than they're just not here for the paycheck. There's such a different approach and way of life when your people are happy Mm -hmm. and efficiently doing their jobs and not getting called at like, like say 12 in the mornings, because there is no like set boundary set in terms of team communications or things are falling through the cracks. Projects are consistently being late. It's like that all ripples. So that's why Mm -hmm. I'm just like, we don't have good foundations and operations in the beginning, no matter how big your team gets, it's just going to be a mess as it gets bigger. The holes will be there. Yep. Those holes. <laughs> those holes. That's strainer. <laughs> oh man. Um, okay, so let's talk really quickly as we close out. What are some things that HR typically misses in operations? What's are some takeaways that we can help some folks avoid? What we have seen is that people often when they get hired are just thrown in and said, and they're like, here's like a book. Here's like paperwork we need to do where you need you to do. We'll see in a week kind of thing. Mm. And I, I specifically focus on this because we, every time a client comes to us, we always look at how their new team members are onboarded because one, they are the most green. They are also really excited and really driven. And especially if they are really good at what they do, they're still going to need to lean on you to tell them how they can use their gifts. Mm-hmm. So I think HR needs to have, and I think the, 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 the data that Gallup came up with was that like 82 or 87% of businesses don't onboard correctly. And it begins there because first impressions matter. And if new team members are set up to succeed, you as the person doing the hiring and the leadership, you're not having to play glorified babysitter. You don't have to constantly wonder if you can trust them to do their jobs. You don't have to like do their job for them. Like, oh, they did it. But then like, you're just following up and redoing it because it wasn't to your standards. It's like, all of this means that you need a better onboarding system. So that's like the biggest thing that we as operations people do. And this is, it, and it treads into yes, HR a little bit, but it's just like, how do you set people up for success? Mm-hmm. And especially because they're new, they're going to be dependent on you, which means that you need to have your systems and how you run like without a shadow of a doubt in your mind so that you can tell them. So if you don't know how your business runs or to, or to get information for knowledge management, like SOPs, how projects are handled, how customer services are take, like how your customer service systems work, how your funnels work, those new hires aren't going to know either. So that's the biggest consideration that I, as an operations person would love for people in HR to focus more on is a comprehensive onboarding and training system. Yeah. And I, I think program. 
I think to double down on that, it's not just about focusing on the new employee. It's about also the people who are going to be supporting that employee. Like there's a lot, there's holes in the learning and development thread, the career development thread, like the amount of training that managers get is pretty disappointing oftentimes. And I love talking to L&D people about this specifically because they just get like so fired up about (laughs) um, the training gaps that exist. And um, again, not as much, not as much pain points that we solve, but it's really cool to see how all the pieces fit together and to have our, our folks on on other parts of the, the angle here. And just to tie this in, so you had a guest that I introduced you to, Kamo. Yeah. She's amazing. And she I is. only say this because as an HR person, I was like, hey, Kamo, here's how we onboard team members at Business Late Bear. What, like, what do you think? And she's like, I think this is one of the best onboarding experiences I've ever seen. I'm just like, okay, if an HR person is signing off on this, who also has an operations background, I feel like I can like shout a little louder that this is like one of the things that we're suited to do. But at the end of the day, it's because I am like, how do I make sure my new, my people, whether they were new or not new, feel like there's ownership, feel like they can be set up for success. And Mm so just a little tie into one of your previous episodes. Come on, gave me the okay. So yes, (laughs) she, we love her. Shout out, come on, we love you. We'll we'll, we'll tag her on the podcast too. <laughs> um, well, Veronica, this has been such a fun conversation. I really, really have enjoyed talking about all things operations and how it intersects with people. Um, we didn't even get into the future component of like what operations is going into, but we'll save that for another time because I feel like we're not sure. done with this yeah. conversation. So that's a good thing. Um, but Veronica, how can people find you if they're interested in learning more about what you do or just even getting your content? Yeah, absolutely. So I can be found at www.businesslaidbear.com. And the easiest thing is you can sign up for my email newsletter, which is basically called Just the Tip. Every Wednesday, hump day, we send out an actionable item you can look at in your internal marketing or revenue ops so that you can create a more sustainable and orgasmic business and venture for yourself and for your team. And then if you feel called to and inspired to work together, we can, there's a consult call link there that you can book as well. Just get on our calendar and chat to see if we can work some magic on you and how we can add some extra lube to your business engine. Look at all that beautiful branding (laughs) language. You did it so well. I love it so much. Uh, Veronica, it's been so great to have you here. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for doing what you're doing. Seriously. Thank you. It, it doesn't hurt to hear a thank you now then again, sometimes, um, but it's really passionate work, which I know you also very passionate about your work. So good to be in contact with folks like that. I'm bad at taking compliments and accepting them. So I'm just like, it's a reminder for me to accept it. So I'm just holding space for you to accept it so that I can remind myself to accept compliments that come my way too. Well, I know I'm not going to say sorry. sorry. thing. It's along the line of, yeah. (laughs) All the same thing. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Veronica.
That was a fabulous conversation, fam. I'm so glad that you joined us all the way through. Before you head out, make sure to consider, what's one takeaway that I can implement this month? There's always something. If you're wondering what it takes to be people first, take a look at sparkthisday.com or hop over to sparkthisday.com slash design partner to experience what Spark This Day has to offer. We look forward to joining you on another Capital P and People Work episode soon. Episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday. And of course, don't forget to share this episode with your favorite people people. We'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.